look to the animation department for the future of Star Wars. This episode will recap the last few years of Star Wars animation and look ahead to the bright future with new stories and characters to love. Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to the third and final installment of our summer series all about the Lucasfilm Animation Department. We have come to the end of the line. We've arrived in 2020, for better or worse. We're here. <laughs> We're here. Well, first we're starting in 2018, but eventually we will get to the present day 2020, this hellish year <laughs> in which <laughs> amazing animation came out, though. Very so true. Yeah. <laughs> in, in a lot of ways, I would say it's the highlight of 2020 for me. So we'll get to that. But I, I feel like we're at the end of our series. You know, we started way way with uh <laughs> with the holiday special just you know wistfully thinking about those those days two days ago when we recorded that of <laughs> boba fett the and now boba we're fett. here we finally made it <laughs> well what's funny is for this series charlotte and i have actually recorded each episode um we've recorded all of them in one week so we've done a whole week where each night we've recorded a different part which we've never done this before as far as like any of our series we've usually recorded them um like a week or a week and a half in between anything like that so it's <laughs> way back when when we talked about 1978 and the holiday special which was 48 hours ago <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Um, yeah. We've uh we've basically been living in the animation department even more than we usually do <laughs> this week. Yeah. So it's been a lot of fun. But I'm excited to be here in in, you know, the last two years. It's like every when we were thinking about how to organize this series, we've known for a while that we wanted to do our summer series on the animation department. But we were questioning a lot of how to kind of organize it. And it seemed that the timeline kind of fit naturally with just the types of discussions we wanted to have and also just kind of condensing all this information into a coherent timeline seemed valuable to us and also logical to follow, for, hopefully for all of you listening. Um, I hope it's been logical. And But uh, when deciding like where to kind of break off for the different episodes, we've just gotten into smaller and smaller time chunks because we've, we've kind of done it more or less by TV shows. And But the first episode was, you know, 35 years worth of time. And then we went to five years of time and now we're here at two years of time mm -hmm. and I, that really speaks to the technology and the advances and mm -hmm. yeah the accessibility of content too and I just think it's it's true like if we were to do another episode on this which we're not because we've run out of content but I <laughs> I feel like even like next year we could probably do a whole part four on this because of the amount of content that hopefully we'll get and we'll talk about that we um we don't do part fours though we're strictly a part three kind of show so we live in a trilogy mindset it's just where we are we're threes three parts and then also three parts it gets kind of confusing but it works we we just we really multiplying creates nine just like the saga it just really makes sense you know what's funny though is Charlotte is very convinced of episode ten which will be a complete paradigm shift of I'm ready for it bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> and 
And I'm, and I'm over here like, no, 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 no. It's a trilogy. <laughs> no. We thought that in 2011, too. We were like, no more Star Wars movies. And then as we discussed in the last episode, we were floored, literally on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> when they brought it all back. So, you know. Well, I'll tell you what, if if there's an episode 10 and that trilogy is no longer a trilogy, then we can add a part four to this animation trilogy to make it no longer a trilogy. Okay, that's great. Let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to hold you to that because... No, I know. (laughs) You know, I I was, you know, staunchly in support of the live action Star Wars television show (laughs) for years and years, like 15 years. (laughs) And we finally got it, so... (laughs) Well, look out for part four of our summer series, animation series, coming to you in summer 2029, and it'll – please look forward to it. You say that, but, like, it's going to happen. And the thing that's funny is that we just found out today that the 2022 date of the next Star Wars movie in theaters – you know, people in the future are listening to this and they're like – well, this is really dated. It's going to change to 2023 because of everything being slowed down in Hollywood, understandably. And, you know, looking at 2023, it just feels so far away. But you, when you say 2029, I'm like, yeah, you know, Star Wars is just never going to end. We're just going to have content after content after content. We're not even going to know what to do with ourselves. So even just discussing Lucasfilm animation, it's like I know, I know in, like deep in my bones that there's going to be an animated project at least every year. And that's crazy, you know, and to even just think about that and think about how we lived in a time where when we were when we were chronicling like this, like you said, in our timeline, we were you know spanning like 30 years in the very beginning. <laughs> and now it's like, got to get to the minutia, the details, because we have so much content each year and we're so lucky. I was just kind of making a joke about 2029, but you made it serious. And... I made it serious as usual. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what that's supposed to mean. I'm a very serious person. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, genuinely, seriously, please look forward to the animation discussions we will have in 2029 where we will most likely be referencing this series and be like, remember a decade ago when we first addressed the animation department all together and it was 30 years in that part one of the part three. We'll go through it all then. So um, I can't wait. (laughs) Okay. So 2018 though. Let's take it back just a little bit. Twenty Charlotte and I like to refer to 2018 as like our golden year of the Star Wars fans. It really was kind of all, all cylinders were firing for us. But that is where we're going to be starting with this episode. And um, it is three parts, just like the other ones. <laughs> and part one is where we're going to be discussing all about Star Wars Resistance and Star Wars Galaxy of Adventures. And in part two, we're going to be discussing the return of the Clone Wars. And in part three... We're going to be talking all about the future. So without further ado, let's get started. We made the show for a younger audience. I think they'll love the relationships between the characters and all the lightheartedness. It's unique in tone, unique in look. It's a completely different package. It's very action-packed and vibrant, colorful, and you have you know lots of different pilots and ships and the different settings. I wish I had a show like this when I was growing up. 
Welcome to part one, where we are going over Star Wars Resistance and Star Wars Galaxy of Adventures, and we are going to start with such a little love of ours here on Sky Talkers, <laughs> which is Star Wars Resistance. Star Wars Resistance takes place in the sequel trilogy era. It is the, I almost said the, I want to say like the last Star Wars animated project, but it's not. Um but it premiered on April 26, 2018, or I'm sorry, it was announced on April 26, 2018 with a release in fall 2018. And it really was kind of billed as building up to the release of The Rise of Skywalker. It took place within the sequel trilogy era. It was kind of one of the first things that we were really going to have a lot of time with in the sequel trilogy era. And also knowing that it was um, going to span from Force Awakens into the Rise of Skywalker timeline. All of that was very exciting. Charlotte and I, this is the first show that we got to start on Skytalkers and finish on Skytalkers. And I just have so much love for Star Wars Resistance. I think it is such a charming, lovely show, and I wish <laughs> everyone would watch it. It's great. I love I love Resistance too. I think it is such a fun show with an excellent premise. I love the idea because, you know, the sequel trilogy is over a short period of time comparatively to the other trilogies. And when you talk about the sequel trilogy and you that and you're like, what there's not that much wiggle room for stories, but the way that Resistance did it by starting before The Force Awakens and then overlapping over it, going over The Last Jedi, and then it was intended to go right up to The Rise of Skywalker. But the show only got two seasons I personally believe in my bones that there is going to be another season, but I still think that the series is worth watching and it is, I, I loved the ending that we got too. It's, mm -hmm. it, there's a lot of things. I don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it because it is a, it's a really lovely show and a, and a, there's a really couple of great, ex, like excellent storylines that really reflect the overall message of Star Wars. Mm -hmm. But the concept of resistance I think is really brilliant and different from from the Clone Wars and Rebels, which both of those exist between movies while Resistance kind of sat on top of it. And and I think that was always intriguing. And it was also part of the show because part of the charm of the show, really, because we were always like, where are we? How close are we to The Force Awakens? This movie that we're so familiar with where big things happen and how does that affect normal people like Kaz and the team fireball that are in star Wars resistance. And I think that that was just a really creative element and a, a, an idea that I would like to see duplicated throughout other star Wars television shows and mediums, because things like resistance and lost stars that sat on top of something that we're so familiar with lost stars being a book by Claudia gray, I think is just, it's a really unique way to treat the mythology of star Wars because then as the audience, you are you're familiar. You're in on a secret. You're in on something that the characters themselves aren't, and it just really creates an interesting dichotomy, an interesting tension between the audience and the narrative itself. Yeah, it's funny if if you guys enjoyed, if you haven't watched Resistance and you enjoyed listening to Charlotte and I obsess over the timeline in Clone Wars season seven. Boy, oh boy, you should listen to our discussions about Resistance because I think that constituted maybe 20% of our discussions on Resistance was where in the timeline are we? What are the implications of this? Yeah, because it was the coolest part, though. I think that – not the coolest part. I think that's obviously debatable. But for me, it was 
one of my favorite things about the series was mm. this this idea, you know? It was really compelling because the content for the sequel trilogy era, a lot of what we knew was from the films. And even though we had books, you know, the Journey to the Force Awakens, Journey to the Last Jedi, and Journey to the Rise of Skywalker, it was always just like little kind of tidbits about what was going on in the galaxy at large. And Resistance really was that opportunity to see how the galaxy was operating away from our main characters. And like you said, it, it sat on top of Force Awakens and Last Jedi and leading up to the rise of Skywalker. It just, it worked, it worked really well. And I think that that show has so much going for it and it really is I just I wish it had more time I think it deserved so much more time uh, to really find its footing because the characters in Resistance just honestly shine I love it so much Um, Kaz is one of my favorite characters you guys have been around the main setting for Resistance is the Colossus which is a giant ship which I'm obsessed with to a, a crazy degree I can't explain it I mean, I could, but I won't. Not here. Um, <laughs> I, I just, I love the Colossus so much. I love the Colossus and Kaz. I, it just, everything clicks for me with this show. Before we continue waxing poetic about what we love about Resistance, a little bit about it. If you are not familiar with it or haven't watched it yet, um, maybe you've kind of forgotten the origins of this show or really who's behind it. Um, the show was created by Dave Filoni. Um, it was executive produced by Athena Portello, who also worked on Cloners and Rebels, Justin Ridge of the same shows, and Brandon Alman, who worked on Teenage Ninja, Nin- Mutant Ninja Turtles. And the art was directed by Amy Beth Christensen, also from Clone Wars and Rebels. And um, I thought, I remember I was not as excited for Resistance when they announced it because they they said in the announcement that it wasn't like it, it seemed pretty clear that there wasn't going to be a main character force user and that wasn't confirmed but that was definitely the vibe that we had and I don't know I just I wasn't sure if I was going to love it as much as the other animated shows but and the fact that Dave was not going to be a part of it day to day this was part of some of the press around the premiere of Resistance is that Dave kind of spearheaded the creation and the concept for resistance but he was not working on it day to day obviously this is when mandalorian is getting up and running this is when clone Wars season seven is coming down the pipeline like that's where his focus was and so um there was a whole new team not a whole new team but a new team that was kind of really taking the reins on resistance and you know us we're weird force people and i was like there are no jedi not that i can tell um dave isn't like isn't responsible day to day for the running of this show what is it going to be but when I tell you I was completely knocked off my socks by the season premiere the series premiere of resistance I think it's had the strongest season premiere of series premiere of any of our animated shows I really can't speak highly enough of it as well as finale two of the first season really Mm -hmm. kind of was a lot and Caitlin and I really did fall in love with these characters basically immediately. It is really interesting looking back upon it because this was announced in April of 2018. And then in the summer was when we found out that Clone Wars was coming back. And we'll obviously get to that in the next part. Um, And then Resistance came out shortly after that announcement. Mm -hmm. And I think that like Caitlin alluded to, we were the show really did lead with created by Dave Filoni, which makes sense from a PR perspective because he's a familiar name and he has these great credits underneath him. And then it was like, oh, he's taking a back seat. I wonder why. <laughs> That's weird. 
oh, no. And then there was all this debate about whether or not there was going to be a Lucasfilm television division and whether or not what was the future of animation. I still think that what we've seen in terms of the shifts of the future of Star Wars content has been towards TV. And I think that during this period, they were gearing up for that potential with the rise of Disney Plus and developing content in that part. So I think Dave was needed in other areas like The Mandalorian, as we've seen. And boy, is he involved in The Mandalorian and Mm -hmm. also bringing back the Clone Wars, which was a task. So I think that from the onslaught, we were like, oh, no, are we going to like this? And I think I was always like, we're going to love it. It's going to be great. And Caitlin was like, I don't know. And, <laughs> and then we did love it. And it was great. And I think that it is interesting, though. I think that Caitlin and I are both pretty hesitant when something doesn't necessarily revolve around the force. It's just who we are. It's like what we like. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, yeah. And I think that resistance really proved us wrong. And it also mm-hmm. did prove... and. It, 2018 was a year of being proven wrong and that kind of stuff because we really liked something like Last Shot, which also didn't have yeah. um, a force center at all. And I think it's it's just, I don't know, it's just testament to the fact that a story can live within Star Wars and not have the number one thing that I'm most interested in. Because even after this, I will say that I'm still number one most interested in force users and the force and that aspect of Star Wars, the mystical aspect. But I still found this so compelling because I really latched onto the characters, especially Tam and mm-hmm. Kaz. We love Kaz. But Tam's story to me is so intricate. It, Like I mentioned before, is really reflective of the Star Wars themes. And on top of this, this show had and remains to be, I think, the most diverse cast that Star Wars has ever had. And mm-hmm. I think when I look back upon it, especially with these two seasons, the energy that we felt last year at Celebration at the at the Resistance panel, I think it was probably in our top three panels that entire weekend. And we went to the big ones. Yeah. So it, it, it was so fun. The cast was, you know, so excited. And I, I get really sad when I think about the potential that the story had if only it could have found its footing in the same way that Clone Wars and Rebels were allowed to. I think that the cl- the Clone Wars really did have like a couple of seasons before it got like really good. <laughs> yeah. Again, I every time I say this, I I have to caveat that Caitlin and I were always on board from the beginning, but it really wasn't until the third season where and Dave Filoni admits this, you know, where the the crew and everyone felt like they understood how George was working, how things were working with the technology, how they were like the workflow, the pipeline, everything like that. And so that it took them three whole seasons. And Resistance didn't get that. And it it makes me sad because I do think that the story that they told in the end, again, I don't want to spoil it. I think that the ending was so advanced and good and it really did pull at the heartstrings that I just can't imagine what the next couple of seasons would have, like what levels they would have gotten, how it would have enriched the sequel trilogy mythology even more. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree with everything you said. It's, I... Uh, I love Resistance. I love the cast of Resistance. It it did have, it does have the most diverse cast and crew, I think, out there in Star Wars. And so to see it be cut short, it just feels kind of like a, a dagger to the heart on a couple different fronts as far as issues like representation in Star Wars, especially with the, the cast in particular. And then also just because the show really didn't get the time that it, that it really did deserve. Um, because 
I think that these characters were so compelling. I think Resistance did the best job of kind of laying out the complications of politics in Star Wars, honestly, which I think people who are listening to this who haven't watched Resistance and have maybe only seen you know clips of it or the, the trailers and stuff like that might be surprised to hear that because it is kind of built towards an even younger audience than Rebels was, which I think Clone Wars, Rebels, and then Resistance as far as like the age range that I think the target demographic was. But I think once you get into some of the details of of how these characters kind of come into play and how they all ended up on the Colossus, there's some really compelling material about like that a lot of what we saw in lost stars um in our discussions for about resistance we were frequently bringing up lost stars and you know a good person on the bad side a person who's just kind of a cog in the wheel are they still considered bad if they're working on the empire people who are working for the resistance or i'm sorry for the first order and people who are working for the resistance who used to work for the empire what does that mean and there were a lot of like really great nuggets like that, that were seeded throughout this show. And um, some of the choices that they made with their characters, I thought were really great. And I think having a character like Kaz, who is not force sensitive, was so smart and not having any characters on this. Well, I won't say that, but none of our main characters were force sensitive. (laughs) And it was, it was, and the thing about resistance is that I think season one is the strongest. I think season one was a lot stronger than season two. I will say that. Um, And I think that – but at the end of the day, it was like even more than kind of all of these like let me speculate as we're going up to the Rise of Skywalker about how Resistance might play in or what it's kind of telling us about what we can see in episode nine. Resistance just always put me in a good mood. Like I, I always smiled when I watched that show. I always laughed out loud at least once. And that's not to say that wasn't true for Clone Wars and Rebels. But for me, Resistance remains like the brightest out of these three kind of main shows. And for that, it's always going to hold a very special place in my heart. And I do, not to sound mean, but it does kind of feel like Disney, Lucasfilm, whoever, didn't give it the attention that it deserved and that it really could have had really strong third and fourth seasons, maybe even a fifth, but it definitely needed more than two. And I miss it. I love you, Mm -hmm. Kaz. I love the Colossus. Um, (laughs) And I love Tam and Yeager and um, Tora. And oh my God, Resistance also had a mom in it. A a functioning (laughs) mom. Um, (laughs) A mom who who did stuff. <laughs> it, it just it had a lot going for it. And um, if you haven't watched it, I encourage you to give it a couple episodes in the first season. And I, I think you'll smile when you watch it. And that was always what it did for me. Me too. And to that note, I kind of want to talk a little bit about the art style of Resistance because it is so drastically different from the Clone Wars and Rebels. It does seem like in this trajectory, if we were to compare the Clone Wars, Rebels, and Resistance, we are getting softer in our animation, more colorful yeah. and uh, more like kid-friendly to the eyes. And I just mean that because I think that Resistance is so colorful. And that was the kind of the point of the show was to introduce colors that weren't necessarily always seen in Star Wars, especially in this time period. Like we have like turquoises, we have bright oranges, we have yellows. Not that orange isn't a, a color that we've seen before because we definitely have. It's just it's, it it's was, our logo. 
yeah <laughs> i know I was, that's what i when i said that i was like okay <laughs> and also like an x-wing suit but still i think that turquoise isn't necessarily a color that you see often in star mm-hmm. wars you know and the the style was uh anime inspired it was fluid it had a 2d look but it was 3d cgi from what i understand i'm not an expert i've tried to learn but i'm not that good but it has uh I don't know. The animation was done by Polygon Pictures and CGCG, which are names that we referenced before um, in Rebels. And I think that the style was like an experiment. And I am happy that we try that we we experimented here and um, that we were, were given this this animation that was pretty drastically different from what we've seen in the past. And um I don't know. I thought that it was it was pretty beautiful. Like the, I loved the the way the clouds were were drawn, and mm-hmm. also the the water planet. It's it was way more advanced than I think some might see, say. Like just looking at it, um, and studying it, and looking at how things moved, and the fluidity of the animation and the art style. I think is was just so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the the setting, the environments uh, outside of the Colossus itself, which again I love the Colossus. The um, Castellon is the planet that it takes place on, and it was just, you know, the Colossus was a station. It was a fueling station, so it's in the same place, so it doesn't move. And so the fact that we had this whole like kind of ocean and sky that that was kind of the outdoor setting only for resistance not only they like left castle on and stuff like that but that was the main setting and the fact that it looked varied and different in every episode and and was beautiful too um the skies when they would just stand there talking looking out at the sunset on castle on it was all just it was all really beautiful and they it did surprise me in that sense it, it i mean resistance is the show that made me care about chips like i can tell you what the fireball looks like i know a lot about the colossus like there, there are a lot of things that I did not know about ships until I got into Resistance. And for that, I'm grateful. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if it's okay, I want to read this quote from Dave Filoni when he talked about the idea for Star Wars Resistance. So, quote, The idea for Star Wars Resistance came out of my interest in World War II aircraft and fighter pilots. My grandfather was a pilot and my uncle flew in restored planes, so that's a big influence on me. There's a long history of high-speed racing in Star Wars, and I think we've captured that sense of excitement in an anime-inspired style, which is something the entire team has been wanting to do for a while. End quote. And I think that you can especially see, you can compare Resistance to a show like Speed Racer, especially in the beginning when they were really pushing, especially in the marketing, the these these crews <laughs> who would race against each other, which is a fun Star Wars idea, but it didn't necessarily pan out in the story sense throughout the series, which, to be honest, I never really found it super interesting. I just thought it was interesting that they ran with that for the pure angle. But it's clear to me that they were inspired to really make the audience care about the ships and i think that really comes from this origin of world war ii aircraft and fighter pilots and even the character Giger is named after chuck Giger from the right stuff and also real world fame so it's not not just that but i remember i watched the right stuff for the first time after uh resistance was coming out and i was blown away by that movie but i just think that there's there they were really pulling from all these different um influences in a way that Star Wars hadn't necessarily before. And again, I really do mourn the loss of whatever season three or four that we could have gotten that could have even further expanded upon this. 
Yeah, uh, with the with the kind of the premise or the inspiration with the World War II aircraft, it being from you know Dave, I just think it's the the delicious irony there of just that that is a lot of what George always talks about yes. with Star Wars and how he wanted it filmed, and then we come full circle to Resistance, and Dave is like, my grandfather flew World War II <laughs> aircraft. You know, it's just it it really is, as they say, full circle. So Cheryl and I actually got to meet some of the cast of Resistance uh, when we saw them. They were having a cast dinner. It was uh, adorable. It was so cute at a restaurant, (laughs) getting pizza in Chicago one night. And um, Cheryl and I happened to be there at the same time. I saw Christopher Sean through the crowd. (laughs) Our eyes met. (laughs) He was like... I can see that you're recognizing me. And I was like, I can see that you can see that I'm recognizing you. <laughs> and we're just going to go through with us. <laughs> I, I like put myself in the, in his circle. <laughs> I was like, hello, I'm a big fan. <laughs> anyway, he was very nice. And then we also got to meet Scott Lawrence who plays Yeager. And they were just incredibly, they were so nice and lovely and so excited about Resistance too. And the whole cast is there. Donald Faison showed up, Bobby Moynihan, um, everyone. It was it was great. Charlotte and I were on the, got sat on the other side of the restaurant and we were just watching the different cast members walk in and we were like, don't be creepy, don't be creepy. We're still a little creepy. <laughs> it, it was a very small space too. So like it, yeah. it would have been weird if we didn't actually say hi. You know, I just want to make that clear. It was like a very small waiting space. <laughs> Yeah, we were also in our Dave Filoni cosplay. So yeah, that's true. Oh my god, I forgot about that. <laughs> we, we stood out <laughs> for <Yeah>. one thing. <laughs> our say. matching Dave Filoni cosplay, I should also say. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, that was great. It was. It was still amazing, and yeah. I. I think that I, I look back upon that night like, oh my god, I can't believe we're watching them have a cute little dinner. We're not disturbing them, but we had to say how much we love the show because we really do. Yeah. So and they, they were waiting for their table. I also don't want to make it sound like we came up to their table. Yeah. They, they were waiting for their table. They hadn't se- sat down yet. Um, <laughs> we're just like going through all these things. Like I promise, we weren't in their personal space. <laughs> <laughs> But Everyone were- listening is like, it's okay, it's fine. <laughs> like, relax. <laughs> we're like, hey, we like didn't go up to their table or anything. Like, they were they were standing in the like Charlotte had wait. Charlotte had basically gone through Christopher Sanchez's circle, like of people that he was talking to, like his his other friends and family, without knowing it, to get to the hostess stand to put our name down. <laughs> and I was like, wait a second, <laughs> hold up. <laughs> <Wait>. <laughs> Anyway, it was definitely a highlight for us. The cast is adorable. The show is is so good. It like I said, it's just it's a very it's it's bright. And that always kind of sticks in my mind when I think of resistance, I think of bright. And I hope if you haven't given it a chance, you do, because it's definitely it's definitely worth your time. Okay, so that brings us to the next piece in this specific section. Galaxy of Adventures. It is a micro-series that premiered on the Star Wars Kids YouTube channel, which is a new YouTube channel that I think debuted in 2018 in adjacent to this actual Star Wars YouTube channel. And the first episode came out on November 30th. Uh, Galaxy of Adventures is produced by the studio Titmouse and also has a Hasbro line with it. So here we are again. This is the entry in this specific episode. So here we are again with a merchandise tied content piece. We're three and for three. We are three for three. Actually, four and for four. I think it's it, this specific show. I get a sense that so much love went into the show 
the the articles that have been written about it on StarWars.com, I just feel like the people that are making the show really do feel a sense of like so much pride in what they're doing. And I have to say, I really love the art style of Galaxy of Adventures. In this year of 2018, we're exploring different styles of Star Wars that in an anime-esque fashion, both of these shows, Resistance and Galaxy of Adventures, both kind of explore this style. And I think it really works for Star Wars. And um, I'd love for it to continue in different mediums. Um, what do you think about Galaxy of Adventures, Caitlin? I think Galaxy of Adventures is super cute. I think I I love getting all of these different things that have different art styles because I love seeing how how Luke looks in something like Forces of Destiny versus something like Galaxies of Adventure or even a character like Ahsoka going from Clone Wars to Rebels and then within Forces of Destiny too. I think there's something just really great about seeing different art styles and expressions of Star Wars, what things are emphasized, like we were talking about with Resistance, the softer color palettes or the the the, the brighter colors and things like that. And Galaxies of Adventures has its own tone as well in the stories. And I think that just keeps pushing the artistic style of animation forward. And I think it's really fun. So there's this quote from James Waugh, Lucasfilm's vice president for franchise content and strategy, which, as Charlotte was mentioning, there's a lot of great content in StarWars.com about Galaxies of Adventures. And he said, With Galaxy of Adventures, we wanted to craft something that allowed parents to help their kids take their first step into a much larger world, whether they were ready to show their kids the films or wanted to find new ways to explore the content. Over the years, I've had so many of my friends who are parents tell me how much they wanted to introduce their kids to Star Wars, but didn't feel that their kids were quite ready for the movies yet. They wanted a way to celebrate the universe they love. Creating content that is unabashedly for kids in this bite-sized, unique, animated form allowed new moments to evolve out of the old, new ways to look at content, and ultimately expanded the potential of how Star Wars should look and feel. I think this is kind of what I think sets Galaxy of Adventures apart from our other micro-series. As our other micro-series like Clone Wars and uh, Forza Destiny and, to a certain extent, Lego, um, Freemaker Adventures, Galaxy of Adventures is retelling iconic moments from the tril- from the saga, and it's doing it in a new style. It's adding new elements into the stories we already know, and it really is marketed as these are your first steps into the Star Wars universe and for the family setting, which I think is really unique as far as, like I said, our micro-series go. Yeah, I think if I could compare all of the micro series. To me, I feel like we really hit something right with Galaxy of Adventures. And I know we're, we're still getting new episodes, so it's really hard to be like, we're doing it right now rather than a, in a retrospective way like we are with Forces of Destiny, which has clearly ended and Lego and all these things, right? But I do get the sense that this has a very clear mission statement. And mm-hmm. you can feel that this, this like looking at some, looking at it's interesting because when you have an animated style that is already re- reinventing how a, an environment of Star Wars that we're familiar with looks, we also have this 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 thought that we're also reinventing the way things kind of happen in a and not a dramatic sense, but in a way that makes Star Wars feel more like a story that is passed down. And in a mythic sense. And I feel like 
Does that make sense, Caitlin? Like, I really yeah. like this idea that there's this tale-esque aspect to Galaxy of Adventures that, like, I'm looking at something, a part of the movie that I've seen a hundred times or, you know, Luke's whole story, the way it's framed all together. I, I don't know. It, it really just kind of changed things and zeroes in on an arc in a way that I think fans are doing when they talk about Luke or certain characters and um, and in the way that content creators should be putting iconic moments together for kids to understand. It really opens up the entire saga and is able to kind of tell all these different stories all around the galaxy and provide toys too, because that's an important component of things like this for everyone. And not just in the in the girls section, not just in the boys section. I I don't know. That's the that's the sense I get. And maybe I'm kind of waxing poetic about Galaxy of Adventures, but I do think that I don't know. I think that we struck a right chord here with the the yeah. content uh, mixture with the merchandise. Yeah, I think these micro series really are just all kind of different experiments, it feels like. And on the one hand, while I enjoy things that, like I said in the last episode, that are like pretty um, and like I like the color pink and like <laughs> I like having pink and purple things in my life and um, I enjoy that. I do think you're right that Galaxy of Adventures kind of feels like it goes right down the middle in a way if we're kind of if we are looking at this spectrum of things that are incredibly masculine coded versus things that are incredibly feminine coded. And it feels like Galaxy of Adventures really does. It just feels very open. I don't really know how to describe it, and I'm probably not doing a very good job at it, but that is, like you said, kind of the vibe, and there is, you know, like you mentioned, like oral storytelling and like these mythic stories of Star Wars and stuff like that. It's kind of like how the whole uh, misconception that the line is, Luke, I am your father, when that's not actually the line, <laughs> um, a collective misremembering, but that just means that people were talking about it so much that we all, everyone believed that for the longest time and that was due in part because the star wars was played out and role played so often by kids before you had stuff like dvds and and vhs's and and stuff like that and that's something that i think like when you're looking at myths is to see how they change over time and not that like the canon is going to change but i like that with galaxy galaxy of adventures there's this freedom to put a different spin on something we've already seen before mm -hmm. and to just to just tweak it a little bit not to change the outcome but just to give it something different something new and that doesn't have to be bad and i know there was like some controversy about you know small changes to canon but mythic stories change over time and um that's like I said, that's not exactly the same with Star Wars, but just being able to tell these stories in new ways is automatically going to create opportunities to include something different in the story, even though it's already been told before. And I think that opportunities like that should be taken. And with micro series like this, like with Galaxy of Adventures, it's just that it's a micro series. It's like the goal of it like they said, is to have bite-sized ways to start telling Star Wars to younger kids, like parents and their younger kids. It's not meant to be like this is Star Wars. Yeah, you know, and, and that's okay. It doesn't have to be. I think that's what I enjoy about the micro series is that it just – there's room for experimentation. And I hope that they continue to do that because – 
even though we've been pointing out that the merchandising side of things and like Forza Destiny got the most flack for having the merchandising arm of things. That's something that's present in all of Star Wars that we've seen, right? And that can feel very, even though that's been a part of Star Wars since the beginning, it can feel very gimmicky and money grabby. And so there is a fine line in making sure that like, we've always done this, people like this, we also want to make money. Like <laughs> again, like where's that balance there? And so I and so I hope that like while there are all of these kind of merchandise tie-ins that are forever and always a part of Star Wars, that that also means that there's room to do different things. To you know, from a certain point of view, things in Star Wars, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think that something really creative and I can imagine being a really fun challenge because you're working with the audio clips from the movies and then sort of visualizing how things can be sort of different. How can you look at it from a different angle, sometimes even literally a different angle? And I I think that's so fun. It's what fan fiction is is for, you know? Mm-hmm. It's it's why we love shows like Resistance, like we were just talking about, from seeing something that we're so familiar with from a different angle. Why we love something like Lost Stars, because it's all these things where we're revisiting these stories that we have grown to love in this new way. And I just think that in all of the micro series that we've uh, gone through, Galaxy of Adventures is probably my favorite one. And I just think that they've really struck thing, something right. And it's really just thoughtful the way they've approached it. Um, and it has been renewed for a third season, so we're going to get more, which is exciting. And I, I don't know. It's hard because we can't, we don't have like the business numbers in front of us about how you measure success for Galaxy of Adventures versus other micro series. I would assume the sale of toys is probably the benchmark for success, but mm-hmm. we don't know that. I don't know if those toys are selling well, but I can say from a fan perspective, I feel like this this show is being done with such reverence and respect for the story that it really does elevate this general idea of like these this Star Wars canon is mythic. It deserves to be told in different mediums um, through different ways and animation being one of them. And it's just really cool. And I think that I'd really appreciate if we took this art style and applied it to a full-length series like I would love that yeah yeah I think it would be great too and but then I'm also like let's let's keep the ball rolling let's do something new also that we haven't seen before Um, because I think every art style that we've seen in Star Wars has been successful as far as that there have been different things that I've noticed you know um like with Resistance, it was the environments that really stood out to me. With Clone Wars, it was like the char- like watching the characters' articulation through the years. That's what I paid it. Like, I mean, how often do we talk about hair and Clone Wars? Like, oh my God. <laughs> the movement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in Rebels, it's like the colors and, and like the creatures in Rebels too are some of my favorites. Like law cats i mean hello it doesn't get any better <laughs> so i just i love that and 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 then like with the micro series like forces of destiny the colors in forces of destiny i love and i love the character design in forces of destiny and then i also really love the character design in galaxy of adventures um it just every new art style has me considering animation in a different way than i had before and thinking about the new things that they're doing 
in this series, whatever it is, that I hadn't picked up on in other series. And I, I really appreciate that. So I hope that they continue to just try new things. And I think they are. So, mm-hmm. all right. Are we done talking about this part of animation history? We are ready to move in to part two. All right, Rex. What's so important that you brought us all the way back here? Hello, Master. It's been a while. Okay, so welcome to part two where we're discussing the return of the Clone Wars. So, we all know that the Clone Wars returned with an announcement at San Diego Comic-Con in 2018. So the summer of basically smack dab in the middle of what we were just talking about between the announcement of Resistance and the premiere of Resistance and Galaxy of Adventures. So it's funny. This all happened right then. And I think... You know, this it was in the midst of a 10 year anniversary celebration panel, and that's what the people in the room were there for. And this is another one of those moments about like, where were you when you found out? So, Caitlin, where were you when you found out that Clone Wars was returning? I was at my internship I had that summer, which was in upstate New York, right? Like up upstate, right along the border of Canada. And I was sitting in the like little museum gift store that I was interning at and (laughs) trying really hard to get all the people out (laughs) because the panel was still happening while there were people in there and everyone left. Everyone left before um, this part started. So I was watching people's live tweets because it wasn't, it wasn't live streamed. So we were watching people's tweets come in. Yeah. Oh my God. When when people started tweeting about it, I think you and me had an inkling that something weird was happening because they were really hyping up this panel, like no panel I've ever seen them hyped up before. Yeah. And I think that it's, but at the same time, I still was like, I, I don't know. I don't want to get my hopes up. They're not going to finish the Clone Wars. I can't believe they would do that. And They did it. They did it. (laughs) Yeah, because if you remember in whatever last episode we had where we talked about it, for years, Cheryl and I were the people that were like, they're not going to do it. They're not bringing it back. Like, It's not happening. (laughs) Let it go. (laughs) We need to move on. (laughs) Yeah, but they did it. And it. it returned on Disney Plus February 21st, 2020. And the fascinating thing about this is that I feel like this was Carrie Beck's idea to bring it back to to for Disney Plus, and it seemed like something that had been in the works for a while, like whispers, you know. And you hear when you hear the cast talk about it, it was like, oh my god, they're gonna finish the Clone Wars, oh my god, <laughs> you know. And like they couldn't believe it, and they were like, did you hear? And texting each other clandestinely. It's really cute if you ever watch any of the panels and everything. And I do think that it was probably whispered about very high NDAs happening about it, it its return, because this was something that I, I felt like they really kept under wraps. These days, it really does feel like everything is willy-nilly, like you never know. <laughs> you do always know, I guess, what is coming because the scoops are rampant. But with this, I felt like n- no one really knew. And it was I want that on a t-shirt. The scoops are rampant. Rampant. And I I think that the Clone Wars returning was that, that magic moment of, oh my God, I can't believe it. And the thing is, is that in our last episode, we talked about the hashtag campaign and sort of the the detriment that that kind of caused for the beginning of uh, Rebels and Rebels fans and people who are really attached to 
that show that was premiering and not necessarily people were not giving it a chance because they were pretty devastated that the Clone Wars wasn't returning. And this was a campaign that was rewarded with the Clone Wars. And so there was there was definitely a dichotomy within me about like understanding that fandom history, but also being like, wow, I cannot believe that Dave Filoni gets to finish the Clone Wars. <laughs> and yeah. that sort of like, oh my God, this is the best because now we're finally going to get the ending and what, oh my, and it was, you know, it was the rampant speculation about like, what arcs are they going to do? Is it going to be the story, the stuff that we've already seen or what? And looking back upon it, I can see how this was so desirable for Disney Plus because it was something that was already conceptualized, something that was already created. And it just needed, it didn't just need, I mean, there was a lot of animation that needed to be done by the team, but it, it the bones were there and it was something like an existing asset that they could pick up for the future. Well, it's kind of crazy to think that we found out in 2018, they really told us two years (laughs) ahead of time. Yeah. (laughs) And we didn't see anything. They told us in 2018 and that was it. And then you didn't hear anything else about it until 2019. Uh, They didn't put that trailer online. What we saw at the Star Wars panel, like. At Celebration. Yeah, yeah, at the Celebration panel. The the ambiguous Star Wars panel. (laughs) (laughs) When we were at the Star Wars panel. (laughs) (laughs) oh my god (laughs) that day was the day that we were in all the panels so they really it really was just like star wars panel it was the star wars panel (laughs) it was mandalorian it was alan tudyk it was (laughs) there was a snowstorm outside it's fine um we were not affected because we were inside at the star wars panel for the star wars panel (laughs) Um, what if you were at a Star Wars panel? Tell us what you thought about the Star Wars panel. And <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, the, we always say that it's so funny because after that panel in 2019, we were so excited. And then we came out of it, and we we're like, they did not give us a date. No Again. specifics. <laughs> it was zero <laughs> specifics. It was crazy. Um, but let, let's read this quote from Dave about the return of the Clone Wars because it is a big deal. And for as complicated as the emotions were about seeing the hashtag Clone Wars saved on at San Diego Comic-Con in 2018, <laughs> I remember I was like, hi, surprise. And then I saw that hashtag and I was like, oh, that oh. hashtag actually really doesn't make me feel that great. Um <laughs> But but I'm happy yeah. to see it. Like, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was rough. It was rough. Yeah. But this is what Dave had to say about the return of Clone Wars. He said, with Clone Wars, I'm very in the weeds on that and will have to be because I myself have had to go back and watch a whole bunch of stuff that I had done. And I went back and watched Revenge of the Sith and Attack of the Clones in depth again. I'm like, I have to upload this whole timeline. (laughs) Just the intricacy of how the clones got made and where Dooku was and all of those things were stuff that I was just doing from memory at the time because I was in it. Then I switched time periods and went on and did Star Wars Rebels. So to go back into Clone Wars, I have to remember, wait, where was everybody? How did that work? And I had charts and figured all this stuff out. And I've uploaded the chip now, so I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny that he said the chip because the chip becomes like a thing in Clone Wars. (laughs) And this was said during the Resistance Press. This was way back in 2018 where he was, I think, really in the weeds about how it's all going to get done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that the return, I mean, we've talked endlessly about Clone Wars, so we're not going to get into that piece of it again but i think it's if you're if you're listening to this you know how well received season seven of clone wars was and it still stands the finale my god it's a masterpiece (laughs) 
It really is. I need to rewatch it again. Oh my god. Yeah. It's it's the best. It's it's nothing else like it. <laughs> in our you know, we're doing this whole series about Star Wars animation and it's just hard not to consider the Clone Wars as this through line throughout all these years of the animation department. It's, you know, it was the first project for the animation department and we just keep revisiting these characters in this time period even now in the future we will. And I think To me, I'm just like, was this show lightning in a bottle? What was it about the the success of the Clone Wars? I don't know. We always come back to it. It had it was you know it was an experimental thing. No one knew if it was going to work or not. It was it was George's you know project of his own really that he just really wanted to do to experiment with this format, this medium. And I just don't don't know. I can't define it. And maybe that's part of its success is that you can't really put a number on why it works. But it really is like the thing we come back to in this timeline. It's like Clone Wars, Clone Wars, Clone Wars and everything in between, you know? Yeah, I think looking at everything all together as we've been doing, I I don't think that Clone Wars is lightning in a bottle. I think that it I think the reason for its success is is like the hard work that was put into it, yeah. honestly, and the the fact because it wasn't successful in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Like Clone Wars was good, right? But I mean, the Clone Wars movie was was panned ridiculously. It could have ended the whole series. <laughs> it, it really could have. And the difference, and when you look at like if we were to look at like Clone Wars versus Resistance, right? Like Clone Wars, George gave Clone Wars time. Because as we've always said about George, he was always very forward thinking. He knew that technology was five years behind and he was making them do the, he was making them do like 2012 work in 20, in 2008. (laughs) And he knew that that needed time and he's financially backing it. So like, he doesn't really care. Like this is the thing he wants to do. So he's going to do it and they're going to take the time to do it and find their footing. And, you know, it's not until season three that we start getting stuff like Mortis and Dathomir and um, getting into like the like really getting into a lot of these stories about the clones and stuff like that. And that's because George had the time and the money and he didn't care what critics said, honestly, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think. Whereas a show like Resistance didn't get that kind of time and attention because I, I can speculate on a lot of reasons. I, I don't want to because it'll make me sad. Um but I think that's the difference. So I think I think every not obviously not every show that has time given to it is going to have the kind of success that Clone Wars did, right? Like every show out there that's been going on for five plus seasons is not the best show out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you're right; it is so interesting that like Clone Wars is this pinnacle that people always come back to and there is always this kind of constant comparison about and we talk about it too like which which of the three main shows do you like better um are do you like Clone Wars or Rebels better do you like Rebels or Resistance better like we're always kind of comparing them and the comparison is bound to happen I don't think it's lightning in a bottle but I think that it definitely had a freer environment in the beginning, which I'm sure people, if anyone's like involved in like 2005, were like that there was nothing free about the Clone Wars <laughs> at the time period. Like <laughs> we were very busy, and um, I don't really know if I'm explaining it well. But I think that it just it was given time to grow, and it 
it didn't have the same kind of expectation on it initially like Rebels did. Like Resistance didn't get time to grow and Rebels had like this big expectation on of this is like the first thing out of the Disney era. What's it going to be? And that's a lot of pressure too. And I think all of these shows have different bright spots to them, but Clone Wars really stands out as it is this thing from George. It was given time and it grew and it changed a lot through the years. And I think that's what makes it stand out. And I can't rank like I can't rank my favorite Star Wars shows just like I don't like to rank the Star Wars movies anymore, but it does. I don't really know what I'm getting at, but it is it. You're right. It is this through line with animation. And it'll be interesting to see if that's still true in 10 years. Yeah. And I think to me, when I think about the success of the Clone Wars, I think there's plenty of factors. But I do think that the success of the character of Ahsoka um, is part of that. I think having a character that we can see her arc from basically adolescent to adulthood throughout all these different animation projects, too. Like, that's definitely a thing that's happening, you know? Yeah, and And to have this character exist in a time period that we're like somewhat familiar about like we've we've heard about the clone wars before but we don't know anything about this character and i guess you can compare that to rebels as well where we don't know anything about the ghost crew either but there's something different about ahsoka and i think ahsoka in a way is lightning in a bottle and i don't even know if disney really knows (laughs) what of a good character they have with her and they're they're trying to experiment with it i think we're going to see more of her in the future but it's it's just like when I think about her and the introduction of that character and you're right when you talk about the, the, the care for the show, I think it's also care of the character Ahsoka, right? And like figuring mm-hmm. out where she fits into things, how she stands on her own separate from these characters that we're pretty aware of and we know and we know where their stories go. But what about her and how yeah. can she be a completely separate character? And I, I think that there's also something about the art style that was so successful and watching that, you know, go from like, honestly, like a video game-esque look in the very beginning to unbelievable unmatched animation. To the Siege of Mandalore. Yeah, Siege of <laughs> Like, there's, oh my God, it's so good. And even witnessing as a fan that arc, I feel like I'm in on something. I feel like I'm in on a development of watching people's skills and the technology grow that makes me really excited i mean that's the reason why we're doing this show because i love i love watching that (laughs) and i love hearing about it and everything but i do think that there's this almost like participatory sense with uh with ahsoka where we can all kind of see ourselves if we were her um in the middle of a oh i mean it's we don't know if we can all think about ourselves in the middle of a war but it's like what would you do if you were put in the middle of star wars because that's really what her character is <laughs> and i think it's it's i don't know the show is magic and i think it the audience is there the fandom is there for sure the clone wars fandom is huge and it's not like a cozy fandom like rebels is i think the clone wars fandom is massive you mentioned this in the last episode, but there's all these different parts of the fandom. There's the clones fandom, there's Ahsoka, there's animation, there's the whole thing, you know, all these different things, the costuming. And I just think that that fandom is massive. Rebels fandom feels cozy. 
resistance fandom to an extent feels cozy too because it, it is quite small it's kind of fledgling you know we're over here like yay resistance <laughs> and clone wars is huge and the the return of the clone wars really proved that to me when i was getting texts from family members being like wow the clone wars everyone's talking about this you've been watching this for years and i was like yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> and i think it really did reach that level beyond like the major fans yeah yes that i think no other star wars show really has you know i don't know it's magic it really is i think and i think you're right like the ahsoka's arc really is important and i know a lot of people have a lot of different opinions on like how precious dave is with ahsoka and how that can be a detriment sometimes, which I agree that it can be. I don't think it has been, but I agree that it definitely could be. <laughs> and I think some people think maybe maybe it has been already, but that's a different conversation. But Dave has said before that it really is quite unique to see a character like Ahsoka with the breadth of time that we've had with her in animation and like her whole story has been an animation for the most part and a lot of her major character arcs have been in animation and i don't really know a whole lot of other examples of a character like her that started at 14 15 years old and then has existed in different mediums and across different timelines and with different characters and animation styles and it I think it's all been really successful and to be able to track with her for so long is incredibly unique in in animation because a lot of animated shows, especially ones meant for kids, they don't have that kind of longevity. Um, let me back up. A lot of animated shows run for a really long time, but they don't often have the same kind of character development that we see in a character like Ahsoka. And for that, I think she does stand out um, from a lot of other shows. Obviously, not every show, but from a lot of shows. So I love Ahsoka. She's in my top five all-time favorite characters. So (laughs) I can't say enough good things about her. And we have a whole episode on Ahsoka. So if you want to listen to that. Yeah, with some amazing commentary from some of our listeners who Mm -hmm. emailed in about their relationship with Ahsoka. She... Her, that character has really touched so many people. And yeah. I, I don't think we could have talked about the impact of the Clone Wars without mentioning that. Because mm-hmm. Ahsoka, like we have mentioned, goes long beyond the Clone Wars at this point. She is more than that. She And I, I don't know. She's just great. And the Clone Wars is great, too. I'm so happy it returned. I remember this day. I was so excited. And I was excited. I was on Cloud 9 for, like, a week after this announcement. I don't think I've ever been like that with the Star Wars announcement, especially now where it just feels like we get daily Star Wars official news. But with this particular uh, particular announcement, there was just so much joy there. Um, I don't know. It was great. Man, man, it was so good. I think something that sets all of the animated projects apart too is that there's such accessibility with the cast And they really do, like you were saying, like Ahsoka is so much more than just her character. Like she's touched so many people. Um, And a lot of that is because of Ashley Eckstein. And not only because of like her involvement in her universe, but like all of the, the, like the core casts for these three main shows or these 
three like shows on television, Clone Wars, Rebels, and Resistance, we know all of them so well. <laughs> and mm-hmm. not that we don't know like the film stars, of course, but it's it's different with the with the animated cast. They're at cons more. They're doing panels more. They tend to be more active on Twitter and stuff like that. They're just there's this I don't know. It seems like there's a closer relationship with them and the fact too that you know even though something like the sequel trilogy goes on for 6 years and that's like more or less, like right around the same time that we had something like Rebels even a little bit of less time. It's like I feel like I feel like I know Taylor Gray better than I know Adam Driver. (laughs) (laughs) I've just, I just, I've heard more from Taylor Gray about Rebels than I have from Adam Driver or from Daisy. And, you know, I just, I just feel like there's a community. Yeah, the, yeah, exactly. The community is is different for the animated shows, and it's it's really lovely and it's nice and just I don't know. I have so many panels that I frequently go back to with all of these people to watch and just to enjoy. <laughs> Same. <laughs> I I think that this you know the Clone Wars was pretty instrumental in your fandom. We've talked about it. A ton of times, but I do think that this accessibility with the cast throughout animated projects and just like also creating something that during the online era too that can't be overlooked, I think has made Caitlin and I feel particularly welcome and part of a community, like I mentioned. Yeah. Um, in a fandom, like it, it, it did feel like. You know, we were all new who, like, Freddie Prince Jr.'s rant. I mean, that was pretty recent, but I think that it was all like, oh, Freddie. Like, <laughs> you there, know, there and, goes Kanan. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's, it, it was, I don't know. I look back upon this closeness of the fans and the actors and also the actors' own reverence for the directors of the episodes and their stories about Dave and kind of talking about Star Wars. Like, they all became major fans at least that's how I felt um they've kind of uh, you know said that (laughs) that they were pretty involved in the the mysticism of Star Wars that was sort of necessary in order to get to certain places with their characters so therefore that I think that the 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 actors when they're doing this so often recording so much that they, there's a closeness to the text material that I don't necessarily know if you get in a film, which for some people is really just a job. And yes, that's true in animated TV shows, but I never really got the sense from this tight-knit cast that was present in all of these animated shows. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's, you know, we, we say here, we're like, oh, we know them. We don't know them, but it felt like we felt welcome. Well, you know, we've, we've met Christopher Sean. And Scott <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah. We're, we're really lucky to have had these uh, certain one-on-one interactions with a ton of the cast of these animated shows. It's just, besides that, though, the fact that we were able to do that, one thing. But another thing is that even before we had that ability just from doing a podcast, it was like, I don't know. It, it, I felt very welcome in the community. And I just think that that cannot be understated. Um with like understanding your place in fandom and how much influence these animated projects had on that. Yeah. 
And I think what was great too is that there's just this whole you you alluded to it, but this whole kind of breadth of people who are involved, like with the cast of how familiar they are with Star Wars ahead of time. And I think Rebels is kind of the perfect example of that because it, they all do just fit their roles so well. <laughs> like Vanessa and Freddie, who play Hera and Kanan, are so obsessed with Star Wars beforehand, and they would always be talking about it, you know? And then you have Tia who plays Sabine and Taylor who plays Ezra and they, you know, obviously knew of Star Wars but weren't like the biggest fans of it. It just wasn't their thing when they came into the roles. But they they like all just became this family and Taylor and Tia learned so much more about Star Wars and became fans, like a, a new type of fan through being a part of that, of their like cast and their crew and everything like that and there is just something really special about them being together all the time and how like we've talked about this before that's unique with Lucasfilm animation is that the cast record together which they've all said that that's not typical for animated shows and so it's and I think it's clear in the relationships that they all have with one another that like you said they're all very tight-knit and that's because they have this concentrated time where they're like going through all the emotions (laughs) with their characters in real time with one another and it just there is something incredibly unique I think and just really special I'm obsessed with all of them obsessed I know yeah I just you watch their all their panels together like you watch a Clone Wars panel you watch a Rebels panel you watch a Resistance panel and they're all they all just like clearly think so highly of each other of like their colleagues and have fun together it's just there's something really nice about knowing that the characters that you love watching on screen that the people that play them love each other and also genuinely love the work that they're doing and that's true for any thing that you're into so to have been able to see like to go from all the way from the beginning of Clone Wars through Resistance to see that consistency with all of these casts and crew. It's just special. And yeah. Totally. It is really special. Okay. Are we ready to move on to talking about the future? Yes. So that, of course, was my main focus, is making a Star Wars that George Lucas was proud of, obviously proud enough to want to put it up on the big screen, and we're all thrilled about that. But, uh, you know, hey, fans are passionate, and whether they say for good or for ill about anything, any aspect of it, it's because they love it. You know, they, they, they want it to be good. They want it to, it to, they feel an ownership over Star Wars at this point, and I respect that. I mean, in both directions, you know, I, I respect the good things I've heard, and I respect when fans says, ah, why is it animated? Yeah, okay, I get it, but, you know, give it a chance and check it out, and I think they'll be surprised, because I'm a fan and I like it. All right, we've made it to the future. <laughs> I honestly can't believe it. Look to the animation department. For the future. Of, of Star Wars. Star Wars. Okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll work on that. Yeah, yeah, uh. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the future. This, I mean, this whole kind of tagline that we say on the show, look to the animation department for the future of Star Wars. I honestly don't really even know how it got started. If it's something we heard somewhere, something we made up. I. It's just been a part of our show since 2017. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's because of 
everything that we've talked about in the last eight parts of this series of how instrumental it has been in our own fandom and in our understanding of Star Wars. And that goes back to uh, like we were just kind of talking about like accessibility with the cast and crew. How often do we talk about the behind the scenes features and the panels so freaking much? And they're so important. They're with the animated shows there with all of Star Wars, but we get so much of it. Well, with most of our animated shows <laughs> and um, it, it just, it really brings that next level of connection and honestly like audience investment into the shows themselves and is really important, I think. So we've gone through the past 40 plus years and now we say look to the animation department for the future of Star Wars. And now here we are looking to the future mm-hmm. <laughs> with the animation department. And we have the Bad Batch now, which is I think is, is really funny. Like I said at the very start of the series that this got announced <laughs> in the midst of us preparing for this series. And we've talked a little bit about it on Patreon, but I guess kind of a quick um, recap or just kind of a couple sentences. What do you hope for the Bad Batch? I'm not even sure. I think that this, it's an interesting period of having more characters, especially the clones, wrestle with this idea of what their belonging is. We already had them kind of wrestle with where they fit in within the Clone Wars, but now that the Clone Wars are over, do they have chips? You know, do they don't, do they have chips? Are they all going to stay together? Will the term bad batch kind of evolve? Who will leave the group? Who's going to stay? I think there's a lot of different ways that this could be explored. And it is, it's exciting because I think Caitlin and I both really liked the bad batch crew way more than we thought we did. So we we're we're a little reserved about how this is going to be, but I think to our point about the Clone Wars being a through line throughout the animation department, it's going to continue to be that, especially when you have a show like Bad Batch, you know? Mm-hmm. And we're, I feel like we're really always going to be digging in this well of all the things that we explored in the Clone Wars because we explored a lot in that show. So it makes sense for them to dig something out of it. I don't know if the Bad Batch would have been my first choice, but it makes sense. And I think that there, if this team that I is behind this show that I, I definitely trust this team. I have not been steered wrong yet. I feel like there's definitely a great story to be told. And I I honestly don't think I can get enough of sad Order 66 stuff. So I'm here for it. More melodramatic Star Wars. It's kind of the whole backbone of Star Wars these days. So let's just lean into it. Let's just go for <laughs> it. Star Wars is tragedy. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think that, yeah, I think like you, Bad Batch wasn't what I thought I wanted initially. I'm, and, but I'm definitely looking forward to it. Like you've been saying with this Clone Wars being this through line, and you're right, it is this well, this time period that we're going to come back to so much. And Clone Wars has, the show has such a foothold in the time period too. Like it has more of a foothold in the time period than the films, honestly, um, just because of how many episodes of Clone Wars there are. What I think yeah. is, interesting about Bad Batch is that the Bad Batch, from what we can tell so far from the logo alone, it feels like this is the only new Star Wars project that's going to be in an old animation style. And I don't mean old animation, obviously, but like it's going to be in the same art style that Clone Wars was in, which this will be the first time that we have a new show that 
isn't a new animation style. Uh, I'm not like sure new- that's confirmed, though. It's not but- confirmed, but the logo yeah. suggests that. So you're right. It, like, it's not confirmed, but the logo looks like a Clone Wars logo. So that's kind of how I'm coming to this conclusion. I could be wrong, but right now I don't think – I think it'll be the same. It's interesting to have a spinoff of the yeah. Clone Wars that exists perhaps in the same animation style, like you said, of the as the Clone Wars. Because if, if they wanted to do more stories of the Bad Batch, I don't think that the, this could be season eight of the Clone Wars. Like, I think the Clone Wars ended exactly where it needed to. That ending was truly amazing. Mm-hmm. And if they were like, here's season eight, I don't think that makes sense. I think it really does. We do need to explore these smaller stories around this era um, if we're going to do it. So I, I I think it's it's an interesting path that we're kind of carving for the future of Star Wars animation, I guess, if we're going to have a spinoff from the Clone Wars in perhaps the Clone Wars style. We don't know, but I can assume that it's going to be the easiest way for them to use the character models that are already created. It just makes sense to me and definitely a way for Disney Plus to get more content. And then in the future, we could have other spinoffs of other animated properties, perhaps in the same style of that. So with Rebels, like, will they explore a whole new animation style if they have a spinoff of Rebels that has been long rumored? Like, what comes next after Rebels? Will it be Rebels (laughs) Season 5? No, it'll be a spinoff. But does that mean that it's going to look different? And these are things that I think that there's... There hasn't been, and you mentioned this like an hour ago, <laughs> there hasn't been an animation style that, like an art style that we haven't disliked. And this sort of constant exploration and digging up the well for these different art styles, I think is great. But if we are going to kind of exist within these time periods, it's kind of cool to have these spinoffs, whether or not The Bad Batch is going to be one season or another follow-up be another season and just be zeroed in focused on one character i think it has long been a criticism of mine of star wars that they introduce all these characters and then never really like finish their story and then there's just all these characters like 25 characters in a movie that you have to tie up their arc somehow in the final movie yes i'm talking about the rise of skywalker somehow (laughs) and i just think that it's the, the future of animation for me is focused more on smaller stories with uh you know, a, a smaller crew. I think that's honestly one of the reasons why Rebels works really well for me is because I do get a sense that the arcs are carried through in a satisfying way, that I understand all the motivations of every single member of the Ghost crew, that it's a smaller scale story. And that was what it was pitched as. And I feel like the Clone Wars was never a small scale story. That was never the intention. But the spinoffs of it could be smaller scale. And it makes perfect sense to me why they draw on the Bad Batch to do this. And there's just so much angst that could be explored with the Bad Batch that it's just irresistible. You know, Resist. Order, 60- yeah. <laughs> Order 66 is just a wellspring of content. Yeah. <laughs> and you want to see everyone's perspective from it. It's this fascinating point in Star Wars history that it's like, I wonder where they were then, you know? Well, yeah, it's just, it, it kind of functions as the Big Bang. <laughs> It kind of does. Yeah, it's – yeah, I think that as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, assuming if we're correct in our assumption that the Bad Batch will be the same, will look like Clone Wars looks, it'll be – you know, it, 
in this conversation that we're always having about how, like, is it confusing that Star Wars always goes back and forth between these different timelines with its films? You and I like that kind of confusion, but for people who aren't familiar with it, it's like Solo takes place when? When does Rogue One take place? Okay, now we're back past Return of the Jedi. Mandalorian is in A New Hope. No, like it's confusing for people. And so I wonder how they will market Bad Batch um, that so that it, the people don't call it season eight of the Clone Wars, you know? And I think that will be really interesting. I'm sure these are conversations that they've had about how do you make sure people know that this is a spinoff. It's not season eight, even though it's in the exact same style. I think that you think about spinoffs of live action shows and I feel like it's a little – in some ways the live action spinoffs are easier to just accept as a spinoff, whereas the legibility of an animated show, a lot of that is its art style. And so to have The Bad Batch, which is a spinoff in the same art style, and for people that kind of binge watch Clone Wars – it's like every couple months there's like a whole new wave of people that are binge watching Clone Wars and then to have the Bad Batch kind of thrown in at some point. It will I, I'm just intrigued to see how they treat it, how they label it, whether it starts, you know, before Order 66 happens, so technically within the season seven timeline of Clone Wars that we already saw. If it starts after Order Six you know, I think there are just this is one of those things where I'd like to be a fly on the wall. Mm. As usual. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to work for Lucasfilm so and be in all the conversations. I think they're really realizing that interconnectivity of both the films and the TV shows are so important in this content creation um, with the Lucasfilm Animation Department that I wouldn't be surprised if on Disney Plus that's the the thesis that they're kind of arming all of these shows around that they're all supposed to reference each other. And not that that already doesn't happen within Star Wars, but I really do think that we're going to see a sense of that even further because Resistance didn't necessarily do that. Like this is a bad example, but there was no Ahsoka in Resistance. And I, I mean, I think that's fine. I love Resistance anyway, but I do think that but people are like, wow, the best episode of Rebels is Twilight of the Apprentice, you know, you know, yeah. and I think that this sort of connectivity about like seeing characters from one one property come, come up in another property, I think will be the driving force behind the future of Disney Plus content, which only makes sense because if you're going to watch one thing, you want to maybe see you, the next you want story. your audience to watch all of it. Exactly. That's, that's you want, the goal you want, of the business. Yeah. So business minded, you want people to continue to subscribe and to be interested in the stories of the characters that cre you create. So it'll be interesting to see this move because I think we really are setting forth into a brand new era of Lucasfilm animation and different types of storytelling. We really are on this like precipice of like weirdness. And I don't No one really knows what the future is be beyond the Bad Batch. That feels like it's like the only animated project that we know of. We know The Bad Batch, we know Kenobi, we know Cassie and all these things, but we don't have a date or anything. If Bad Batch, if we hadn't had the announcement of Bad Batch, or I guess we still have it, but what what is the next thing that you want from animation? Do you, do you want to have something that takes place between A New Hope and Revenge of the Sith so that we can have Ahsoka, like 
Ahsoka and some of the Ghost crew? Do you want something in the sequel trilogy era timeline? Do you want something like we get this question a lot, you know, of what, if you could pitch anything to Star Wars, what would it be? But now it's like you get to pitch a five season animated show to Lucasfilm. What is it? I still want Luke and Ben Jedi training or whatever happened with, with between that, but I don't think they're going to explore that. I, I personally, that's just like deep down what I want. <laughs> but I, I think that from like an artistic standpoint, I just want them to continue to push the boundaries. Yeah. I I think that we're going to be impressed with what the Bad Batch is, but didn't necessarily sound fresh because it's not fresh. It's characters that we're familiar with and an art style that we're probably familiar with, not confirmed, but probably. And I think that this idea of continuing to push the boundaries is like, you know, this this mantra of what anima- this Lucasfilm Animation Department was about was like creating new stories in a new format that you couldn't do in live action. And I want that to continue. I'm not sure how, with what stories, with which time period. I really want them to continue to explore the sequel trilogy time period, or at least after Return of the Jedi. And as we get more and more stories with The Mandalorian, which is in that time period, feels like basically the only story beyond the books that is in that time period and rebel and resistance i suppose but um that's even later like there's a whole chunk of like 30 whole years that hasn't been (laughs) fully explored and that's why i immediately say luke and ben because the characters that we're familiar with the skywalkers it's like what happened and we only know (laughs) such like small parts you know yeah and seeing the Clone Wars kind of expand upon the Skywalker story in the way that it has in such a fresh way that really united the fandom and created a different fandom and kept fandom alive, you know, I would hope happened or can happen with the sequel trilogy era to reinvigorate and and rewatch the show in the same way that Clone Wars makes me re-examine the prequels. It would be really interesting to have a Luke and Ben show because it would function a lot like how Clone Wars did of getting to know and fall in love with this version of Anakin knowing that he's about to fall. Yeah. And Ben would be very much the same way. It's interesting because, you know, the Ben Solo, Kylo Ren as a character seems to have a lot more debate around his redemption than Vader did. And Maybe it's just because I wasn't around, you know, obviously when Vader was actually redeemed, but there was never, it was like people still loved Anakin in the Clone Wars, even knowing that he was going to do all these horrible things in the future. And for some reason, I like, I don't know if fandom discourse would react the same way if we had the Luke and Ben show. I know I would. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I and I know and I obviously like Ben is I would say that Kylo is the most popular character from the sequel trilogy. If you're if if your barometer, as we've kind of discussed, is like merchandise sales, I think that Kylo Ren probably has the most merchandise that is sold around him. We recently talked about the Kylo Ren comic, which is you know the best selling comic. Um, like clearly, there is an audience for him. So it, I would really wonder what the reaction would be to seeing him in these teenage years like he would be the same age as Ahsoka interesting yeah it's just like I'm my head's kind of spinning thinking about it um yeah that would be really interesting I think it's weird because you said like 
having a fresh story and The Bad Batch is not necessarily fresh and it's like is a Luke and Ben show fresh because it's Luke no, and Ben. It's not. But then I'm over here like I still really want the Where's Ezra story with Ahsoka and Sabine which desperately also not <laughs> fresh. Yeah. <laughs> but I do think that the I think the Ahsoka and Sabine show checks a lot of boxes for me if I were to have a checklist of one it's two main female characters which of course I think is great and their characters I already love two it's after the return of the Jedi timeline which is great and three I think there's a lot of room for weird force stuff (laughs) in that which I'm very interested in obviously and yeah so that feels like I guess picking out of out of all of these like Bad Batch, Luke and Ben, Ahsoka and Sabine I think right now I would lean towards Ahsoka and Sabine. But that being said, it was like, like I said, like Resistance knocked me off my socks with with how much I love the characters and I didn't know anything about them. So I'm ready for the for the thing that is going to bring new characters into our Star Wars vernacular. And I would love to see it in an animated time period. And it's like now that the sequel trilogy is complete, I... I think I'm really ready for any timeline to be explored, honestly, with animated shows. So like you said, like Order 66, I might not have picked Bad Batch first on my wish list, but like that's going to be some good angst. So yeah. and we can get people up. showing up and everything. I think that the, the name Bad Batch is pretty broad. Yeah, exactly. Like I know that it refers to a certain crew, but it kind of also has a different... Mm-hmm. Like je ne sais quoi, really about like <laughs> who else it could apply to. Like who's the next bad batch? Like can you join the bad batch? Like what's bad? You know, <laughs> there's there's a what lot of questions. Bad. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and <laughs> and I think that you, I'm I'm with you. I want that rebels follow up so badly, and I think it's interesting that you say that you're ready for any time period because I don't think you would have said that five months ago. No, I probably wouldn't have. Um, yeah. Like, of course, I want the sequel trilogy time period, but, you know, I'm I'm still emotional over the sequel trilogy time period, so that's hard, too. But I really do think I'm ready for anything. I just, as long as it continues to bring new things to the conversation, if it's around something like Order 66, if it's around Weird Force stuff or around the Skywalker family, I'm honestly like I'm here for it, I think. Um, You're right. I probably wouldn't have said that in November 2019. But – and I think no matter how I felt about – well, that's not true. Like if Rise of Skywalker had given me like my perfect fairy tale ending, I would have been like, let's let's go to right after Rise of Skywalker and get that (laughs) – that Ben and Ray Jedi Academy up and running and Finn too. Yeah. I would have been like, let's that's where we need to go. <laughs> but now I'm not so sure. <laughs> yeah. But I, I do think I'm I feel like I'm a lot more open than I usually am about where I think like what I would quote unquote want for different time periods. So um I'm looking forward to the future. Like like you said, nothing Star Wars has yet to disappoint me with the animation in the animated animation department and i i feel like we've gone through all of the things we love about these shows and they've all had such bright spots to them as well like there isn't i wouldn't not recommend any of them yeah totally agree i think it's also just worth noting that 
when we say what we want, we attach ourselves to the characters that we feel, you know, the, the, mm-hmm. the stories aren't fully mined yet. And it's what we're familiar with, these characters that we think about and we know that exist within Star Wars. But a whole new set of characters could come along that could become our number one favorite character. Yeah. And we don't know that because we're not storytellers and we're not the storytellers. So it's when you when people ask fans, I think what they want, it's like we're only playing in this sandbox. I use the sandbox term, oh, Keelan. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> Um, because this is what we know, but, you know, we could think outside of the sandbox. We could. <laughs> the galaxy. We don't have to play here. Yeah, sandbox. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I feel like we've kind of reached the end of the discussion. So we're going to do a roundup now. Uh, as we said, none of the things that have come out of the animation department have disappointed us. And the thing is, for as much as we've talked about, like with the micro series and like some of the critiques that have been levied at those, and even resistance to a certain extent, and stuff like the hashtag um, for Clone Wars and Rebels, that there have been, you know, it's a roller coaster. There have been ups and downs, but on the whole, the animation department is incredibly successful. And I thought it was kind of worthwhile to just go through. That these shows have won a ton of awards through the years, even even Ewoks, even Ewoks. Even, it was okay. It didn't win. It was nominated. <laughs> um, pretty. You much- really dangled that, and then you were like, <laughs> "Nope." <laughs> yeah. Uh, so <laughs> Ewoks had two nominations for a Gemini Award and. Uh, a Young Artist Award nomination, which all of these stats are pretty much pulled from IMDb. So if there are any inconsistencies, you can blame the International Movie Database. Um, <laughs> but Ewoks You'll had- knock on their door. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. <laughs> and they also had a nomination for the Young Artist Award for Best Animation Series, but they-, they were nominated for this award in 1989, which... Ewoks ended in what 1986. I was like, with nothing going on, I don't, I don't really know. Um, Droids, unfortunately, is the only animated project that has not had any wins or nominations. Oh <laughs> no, poor Droids, poor Anthony Daniels. <laughs> then we had Clone Wars 2D series, the one that aired on Cartoon Network by Tartakovsky of Samurai Jack and Dexter's Laboratory fame, which had four wins and three nominations, including three primetime Emmys for Outstanding Individual Achievement and Animation for Justin K. Thompson. And then um, it also won an Emmy that year in 2005 for Outstanding Animated Program and also won the same award in 2004. The Clone Wars movie also had a nomination for the Saturn Award for Best Animated Film. Clone Wars, the show, had 68 nominations wow. <laughs> and 23 wins. And uh, anything from 2020 is still outstanding. So that could be more. It's ha- It's been nominated. Pretty much like every cast member of Clone Wars has been nominated for something. There were some interesting awards that it won that don't get talked about as much, with I- which I thought were worth mentioning. Um, Barbara Goodson, who is the voice of Mother Towson, won a BTVA award in 2011 
for her performance as Mother Towson. David Tennant won an Emmy, which I think we're all familiar with. This one I really liked. Sam Witwier won a 2012 BTVA award for best new vocal interpretation of an established character for Darth Maul, mm. which I, I liked. Corey Burton won for a Cad Bane. Uh, this one was nice. Christopher Voy for Color won a 44, 41st Daytime Emmy Award for Outstanding Individual Achievement in Animation. And he's been involved in Clone Wars, Rebels, Solo. Um, he also had a credit on Rise of Skywalker. I don't think he had them on Force Awakens or um, Last Jedi, but as a concept artist, art director, and lighting concept artist. And then we have Rebels, which had 29 nominations and seven wins. And it also won Saturn Awards for Best Animated Series in Film and Television. Stephen Stanton got a BTVA award for his role as Obi-Wan Kenobi. This one was also great. It won in 2015 a Golden Reel Award for Best Sound Editing, Sound Effects, Foley, Dialogue, and ADR Animation with, you know, Matthew Wood, great friend of Star Wars, David Accord, <laughs> Frank Vanella, Kimberly Patrick, Ryan J. Frez, Tony Diaz, and Sean Kiner. I'm kind of reading these names because these aren't names that get talked about a lot. And even though this is just kind of me reading through a list, I do think it's important. And obviously, Sean Kiner is Kevin Kiner's brother. So, And they won this award for Best Sound Editing for the episode Gathering Forces, which is right smack dab in the middle of episode of season one, which I thought was interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. And then we had Resistance, who had one win and one nomination. It won a Saturn in 2019 for Best Animated Series. Anything that it may be nominated for or awarded for in 2020 is still outstanding. Lego Star Wars Freemaker Adventures, one win, seven nominations. It was nominated for multiple daytime Emmys um, in 2017. It won Best Sound Design. Forces of Destiny also had a win for top television show from the Film and Television or the ASCAP Film and Television Music Award. Galaxy of Adventures has had a nomination for an Annie Award for Outstanding Achievement for Animated Effects in an Animated Television Show. And then Strange Magic has had yes. one win and four nominations. And Maya Rudolph won a BTVA Feature Film Voice Acting Award for her performance as Griselda in Strange Magic. So Star Wars Animated Projects have had 117 nominations and 38 awards over the past 40 plus years. That's a lot. Like that's a ton and they should be proud. I know this isn't this isn't a composite number of the animation department and I think that's an important consistent uh important distinction to make, but it, you know Star Wars in animation has received over 100 nominations for their work and it is a very valuable medium that is consistently recognized. Mhm. Yeah, it just, like I said, I went through all of that really fast. So I apologize if you're <laughs> like, I don't really enjoy this section of the show. But I think it's important that as we've kind of gone through all the the, the highs and lows, and, and it's, it's been predominantly high yeah. um, for these shows, and they are consistently uh, recognized, like you said, for the hard work. And there are a lot of things that I wrote down that I didn't read just because it is a lot of, like, it's a list but there's a lot of great work that is put into these shows and they do a lot of really interesting and innovative things on them, which is always a big part of Star Wars. So it's great. And then I thought it would be fun to kind of see what the highest rated episodes of all of these series are. 
Obviously, some I don't think we'll spend as much time in, but it's funny because some of them surprised me and some of them I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Um, Like I said, I haven't seen all of Ewoks or droids. So if you're familiar with them, here you go. Again, these are all from IMDb and like their star rating. So that's where I took these lists from. Ewoks. The highest rated episode from season one was The Three Lessons and the episode Asha. And season two was The Totem Master and a Gift for Shodu and Prow Beaten and Baga's Rival, which, yeah, you know, intrigue me. Not going to lie. <laughs> Droids, the highest rated episodes was A Race to the Finish and The Frozen Citadel, which The Frozen Citadel totally gives me, you know, obviously I think of The Citadel from Clone Wars. Uh-huh. The Clone Wars 2D. The highest rated episode was chapter 19 of season two, which was all about Asajj Ventress and Anakin, which makes a lot of sense because this is a classic episode. Uh, Yeah. So good. The vines, Mm -hmm. the, uh, this was like, to me, I remember watching this and there's so much tension that's built up in this episode with Asajj Ventress and Anakin. And it, it needs, we didn't mention this when we talked about the 2D Clone Wars, but Asajj Ventress was introduced in the 2D Clone Wars, and then she was carried over into the 3D Clone Wars. And I think it's just testament to how cool her character was and how this was like such an interesting moment with Anakin and Asajj. I also think it's fascinating because in in the 2D Clone Wars, they really play up this sort of rivalry between Asajj and Anakin. Anakin. But in the 3D Clone Wars, Dave really ran with Asajj and Obi-Wan always kind of like crossing paths I think it's a smarter choice for the longevity of the series but I always thought that was an interesting dichotomy because we were very familiar with this like kind of iconic scene with Asajj and Anakin fighting and um, then it like kind of (laughs) was completely different in the 3D Clone Wars yeah yeah I mean as I mentioned, I'm not as familiar with Clone Wars 2D, and this this made a lot of sense to me. Like, I knew what this episode was. Yeah. So then we get to the Clone Wars. And so starting from Season 1, Lair of Grievous is the highest rated. Season 2, Landing at Point Rain, Voyage of Temptation, yeah. and Lethal Tracking. Uh, which the Lethal Tracking one kind of surprised me. That's the episode with Boba Fett and Aura Singh. But then the more I thought about it, I was like... Boba Fett. Of course, we're all really excited for Boba Fett. Season three, I think, is so funny. The highest rated episodes are Witches of the Mist and Overlords, which happen one right after the other. And so it's like the end of Dathomir and the start of the Mortis trilogy. And everyone was like, whoa, what is happening? (laughs) See, that's the season three moment where you're like, this is it. I'm in it. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like that transition from Dathomir to Mortis. Everyone was like, whoa. Literally. (laughs) I just think it's so funny because I think I would have expected it to be like the the last episodes of Mortis, but it it, these two had the same rating on IMDB, which I thought was kind of hilarious. Totally. Season four is Carnage of Krell, which this one actually stands out way above the rest of the season as far as ratings. Not like way above, but it is, I think it has like a 0.2 or 0.3% lead on the rest of the season, which Carnage of Krell is, of course, a very serious episode. It's extremely serious and yeah. it stands the test of time in pushing the humanity of the clones completely. Mm-hmm. Like that's, again, a major turning point in how people consider the clones and the general audience, I think, how they consider the clones. And 
it's a beautiful, heartbreaking episode. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Season five is The Lawless, which this one hurt me a little bit because I was like, it's not going to be the wrong Jedi. That's okay. Um, <laughs> the, the Lawless is flawless, though. I know. It's like, I, I'm mad, but I'm not. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, too, is like as you get into season four through season seven, they all are kind of in this 8.8 to 9.7 range. <laughs> So like, it's all so good. It's like every single one is fantastic. Yeah. There's not like a, a ton of discrepancy between them. Um, season six, the very last episode, Sacrifice, was the highest rated. And then season seven, Victory and Death, Shattered, and The Phantom Apprentice all have a 9.9 rating on IMDb. <laughs> Insane. I, yeah. I think also something to keep in mind is that a lot of these, like these are all user ratings, right? So like season seven of Clone Wars, the ratings for those episodes had over 5,000 ratings, whereas um, ratings for like Rebels had, were mostly in like the one to 2,000 range and then Resistance was even lower. There's like a huge discrepancy because uh, like we were talking about like with the massive fan base of Clone Wars and stuff like that. It's very different from the other fan bases. And also it's been around longer too. So people have like gone back and voted and put in their reviews and stuff like that. So again, this is all from IMDb. It's not perfect. I just thought it was kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. It is. So then for Rebels, season one was the season finale, which was Fire Across the Galaxy. Season two was Twilight of the Apprentice, specifically part two. Season three was Twin Sons. And then season four, Our Love, A World Between Worlds. All of this makes sense. Like, this is season two, season three, season four is top episodes. Twilight of the Apprentice, Twin Sons, and A World Between Worlds are like my top episodes ever. Mm -hmm. So, makes sense. Makes perfect yeah. sense. <laughs> no, nothing about the Rebels results surprised me. <laughs> no, not at all. No. So then Resistance, we had season one was the season one finale, No Escape Part 2. The season two one was surprising. It was The Missing Agent, which is kind of smack dab in the middle of the season. But this is the one where Davy Diggs was on this episode. So I was like, yay, ham fam. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And then – um. For Lego, season one, the highest rated was Crossing Paths and Return of the Kyber Saber. And then season two was Return of the Return of the Jedi, which... Love Lego. uh, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And then for Forces of Destiny, the highest rated from, like, this season one was Teach You, I Will, which is when Ahsoka and Yoda are training together, which I love that episode. And then season two is Bounty Hunted, which Leia and it takes place right before Empire um, Return of the Jedi with Leia and Maz. And then in Galaxy of Adventure, the highest rated episode from season. This one is a little this one was kind of harder to um, determine because the episodes are kind of they're packaged differently. But season one was Jedi versus Sith, the Skywalker saga. And season two was Battle on Hoth. The Jedi versus Sith one makes sense because I think. I might be completely wrong about this, but I think this was the first time we saw the sequel trilogy character models. And mm. or if we did, it was the first time we really saw them in action. And it kind of spanned the entire the entire saga as the title states from prequels to sequels. And that was really exciting. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Oh, man. I just talked a lot. <laughs> you did a great job, Caitlin. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that... 
I wish I had like some really eloquent closing words, but I think that the animation department is incredibly successful, is incredibly important to the story of Star Wars and to bringing in so many new fans into this world. And I am really looking forward genuinely to our conversations about it 10 years into the future. (laughs) Me too. I think that the way that I think about Star Wars and animation is that I don't really know of another intellectual property that is exploring the medium of animation in the same quite in the same way that Star Wars is. It really does feel like Star Wars has a respect for it and continues to push the boundaries and tell really deep, meaningful stories throughout all these different mediums, all these different art styles. And Uh, really understand that they can capture, like you mentioned, a whole different subset of fans and reach all these different people, have them be the entry point. We talk all the time about entry points into Star Wars and so many people, their entry points are Clone Wars, are Rebels, everything like like that. So I, when I look upon Star Wars and animation, the animation department, these two separate things, but understanding that I think that we're, we're just going to get more and more Star Wars animation in the future. And it really excites me because for the same reason why George created the studio um, or the subsidiary, unclear about the terminology, sorry, uh, (laughs) uh, way back in 2005 or 2003 when it began quietly and then really ramped it up in 2005 when he brought in Dave Filoni to develop the Clone Wars. I, I feel like it was really this, this, this uh, starting off point for exploring these stories that were larger than the confines of a camera. And I, I really do feel like we can continuously get that sentiment today of like, Oh, they, they didn't tell that story in, in the movies, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's not off limits for this huge galaxy. Star Wars is so massive and the ability in to explore this, all these different corners and kind of visualize different things that we could not really ever through a lens I think is just it's amazing and I just really look forward to further stories and also I consistently look forward to re-watching my favorite stories yeah yeah absolutely same uh reading through this list I'm like well I think I'm gonna go put on world between worlds yeah uh, let's do it <laughs> uh thank you guys so much for tagging along with us on this kind of journey through the animation department. I know it kind of, it went in different directions in some of the episodes. So I hope that, I hope that it was easy to follow and I hope you guys enjoyed kind of seeing it all put together. Cause that's, I think that's something that we were looking to do. So I hope, I hope we did it a little bit successfully for those of you listening. Um, and as always, I really appreciate you guys listening. I hope you had a good time with this year's summer series. Uh, we certainly did. And don't worry, we'll, we'll be talking about animation again soon. <laughs> Very soon. Probably in the next episode. So <laughs> not the last you've heard of it or even the last you've heard of it for a little bit. <laughs> It will definitely be back very, very soon. But if you want to talk to us online, you can find us at SkyTalkersPod or on our personal handles on Twitter. Mine is at Caitlin Plusher and Charlotte's is at Clarity. We also have our website, SkyTalkers.com. You can also email us, find us on Instagram and Facebook if you're interested. And if you haven't left us a review yet on iTunes and wanted to tell Apple 
uh, that you enjoyed the animation series. We would really <laughs> appreciate it. <laughs> and it helps other people find our show. And if you're interested in other ways to support us or joining our Discord community, seeing our um, Patreon tiers that are all themed after different types of Yoda uh, in honor of last year's summer series. <laughs> and baby yoda of the mandalorian if you're interested in supporting us that way you can head on over to our patreon yes absolutely and i want to say a huge thank you to these patrons Derek, patrick tegan carrie imbecilius Brittany, monica steven joanne daniela sarah kat dylan erica aaron and demi thank you so much for supporting us your support means the world yes thank you guys so much and until next time may the force be with you May the forest be with you.